Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello and welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with me, Simon Mundy. This podcast has a simple mission, to have discussions that reveal something important about life and how best to live it. My guests range from the biggest sporting names on the planet through to neuroscientists, philosophers, psychologists and world-renowned thinkers. We talk about things like how to skillfully relate to uncomfortable thoughts and feelings, the power of acceptance and psychological flexibility, how to get your circadian rhythms in sync to feel your best, right through to the nature of reality. These conversations and the bite-sized episodes have the power to change your life. So the Rugby World Cup is in full effect and this week we are revisiting one of my favourite conversations with the all-black legend Sir John Kerwin. Now JK is a true great of the game but more important than that he's a great person. JK suffered with a serious mental health episode during his playing career at the height of his powers and after retiring from the sport many years later he came out and spoke about his experiences and eventually became the face of mental health in New Zealand. JK was also knighted for services to mental health. Recently, he launched his innovative mental health organisation called Groove here in the UK, really looking to improve the mental health of tens of thousands of people and collaborate with some of the biggest organisations that are out there, having formed a partnership with New Zealand Rugby, no less, prior to the World Cup. So the theme of this episode was understandably mental health, but we spoke about plenty more besides, and it was an absolute pleasure, and I really hope you enjoy. And before we get to this conversation, a reminder that the book I've been talking about for a long time will be out very soon. I'll have more on that very soon in the next few weeks. So watch this space. But first, I hope you enjoy this conversation with Sir John Kerwin. Sir John Kerwin. Kiora. Kiora. Come stai? Benissimo, grazie. E lei tutto bene? Lei ti do tu, se non ti dispiace. Kizuka wa Genki Dezuka. Hi, Chikowa Choto Genki yo. Anata wa Genki. 
<laughs> right, I didn't understand any of your answers really, but uh, anyway, neither did thought... I. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, John, as well as being a uh, a rugby legend, you are trilingual. No, I speak three badly. That's what I say. Um, I speak Japanese really badly. I speak Italian so much that my family still laugh at me because I still get things wrong. And I speak poor English. So there you go. <laughs> three badly. You're being modest, and you often are. Now, you are a rugby legend. You're also a huge mental health advocate, ahead of your time in many ways, I think. But we got to touch on a little bit on the current situation, pandemic, lockdown. Obviously, New Zealand's held up as a example of dealing with the situation well. And you guys now, I know lockdown has been you know, really relaxed for you, I believe. How has it been in New Zealand and how is it now? By the time this episode comes out, I'm sure things would have changed here as well. But just right now, how do you look back at the way New Zealand's dealt with it, how you dealt with it individually and and how things have changed now that that things have been relaxed? Well, I think exceptional times uh, call for exceptional leadership. And I think that our Prime Minister has done that and she's done it on many occasions. So... I think she's been quite exceptional. I think we do have the luck that, uh, you know, we are on the other side of the world and it's pretty hard to get here. So that's been very fortunate. And I think we learned very quickly that if we close our borders, do the right thing, then we might be able to get through this with as minimum amount of deaths as, as possible. And I think that's happened. We've still had too many deaths, obviously, because anyone... Um, you know, suffering or dying from this is one too many. For me personally, to answer the second part of that question, it's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster, like for everyone. So I think the first part was, oh, this is a new norm. Um, and then obviously, you know, starting to worry about what the future looks like, finances, rest of my family, my son's living in Italy. So there's a whole lot of different emotions that were going through that. And then coming towards the end of it, the really the lessons uh, we should learn from this and then um, the anxiety around going back out to what is our old norm or what the new norm may look like. So it's been, yeah, like I said, a bit of an emotional roller coaster. Do you think there are positives to take from it? I think if we don't take the positives out of it, then we've missed an opportunity of a lifetime. You know, it was really interesting. I was talking a really good mate of mine, Sean Fitzpatrick, who lives in the UK. And he said to me, we, we caught up um, uh, last week by phone. He said to me, JK, you know, when we were growing up, our parents and our grandparents would talk about the war. Right? And we're going to talk about this. And there's no blueprint. You know, there's no nothing we can turn to in our recent memory where we can, you know, know what to do. And I think the whole world is connected now with, you know, with, with media and all the barriers have been broken down, um, you know, from a communication point of view. So it's just such an interesting time to live in. So I think the lessons for me, firstly, I live a little bit by saying, if it's meant to be, it's up to me. So what am I going to change? What am I going to learn from this? And what am I going to do differently that's going to help? you know, society, the environment and and a few other things. So it's interesting times. 
let's get a little bit into the rugby. So you are a rugby legend, World Cup winner with New Zealand in 1987, 35 tries in 63 tests. And I've got to say, for me, when I, was a, when I was a little nipper, my father is a rugby fanatic. And really my first sporting memory was the Rugby World Cup of 1991. And I would say that, you know, the two people who I looked at as the, the superstars of the game at that time was you and David Campese. <laughs> Campo, my good mate. He played way better in the 91. 87 was before my time. But, I mean, in 1987, you scored that. I mean, it's arguably the um, greatest individual try of all time. You, know, you against Italy, what, receiving the ball pretty much by your own try line and beating seven or eight Italians, sidestepping them. And I want to come back to this story with, with a lesson of yours later. But let's test your modesty. Do you have that down as one of the greatest tries of all time by anyone ever? No, of course I don't, Simon. In fact, I'm sitting here thinking, I wish he'd stop talking about me. <laughs> um, because I went through a uh, mental health episode, I don't really think too much about yesterday. So I sort of wipe, I wipe yesterday out of my life. My rugby personality or persona is so far back that it's sort of like it, it, it's someone else. I just don't believe in the past. So I only believe in today and, and, and possibly what I need to do in the future. So that was fantastic. Don't, don't get me wrong, Simon. I had the greatest time. I was really fortunate. I played in a great rugby team. I tried to be um, ahead of the game at the time. And I think this was, this was really interesting back then. I knew I wasn't good enough. So... When I looked around me and saw these other players, I always thought they were way better than me. So what was I going to be able to do to be better? And I knew it wasn't through ability. So I, I did a couple of things really early. I was probably the first ever person to have a personal trainer. What we did, the first thing we did is we sat down and he said, well, what do you want to talk about? And I said, I want my strengths to outweigh my weaknesses, but I want my weaknesses to be better than anyone else. And then you sort of say, well, what's your point of difference? And back then, believe it or not, if I, and I looked at England a lot because, you know, I thought England was the best and I still think they lead the way in so many areas. I said, well, if I looked at all your players, most of them were either bankers or working for the RAF. They all had jobs. Police so I officers, felt. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I felt that if I could go to the gym and be the first person that was the fittest player in the world, then I would have a point of difference. And then another thing that I talked about was my inability to step with pace. Let me ask you about this, John, because a couple of things I just want to pick up on. First of all, I think the idea of uh, living in the present, that's something that keeps coming up and is um, you know of huge value living day to day, particularly during this time when we don't know what the future is going to look like. And then secondly, you set out a goal of what you wanted to be the best and, and acknowledged your weaknesses. So you looked at where you were and then set out a goal. And the thing that you're going to talk about in terms of your step, because I know your dad was really in many ways a bit of a, a moral barometer for you the whole time. And I know that you went and spoke to him and said, you want to improve your sidestep. And he said, yeah. are you willing to pay the price? Yeah, so um, I was obviously a butcher with my dad. And, and one morning I said to him, you know, Dad, I cannot step and keep my pace. And that's when he said, 
well, are you willing to pay the price? And I said, well, what do you mean, Dad? And he said, well, you're willing to pay the price. I said, yeah, I'll pay the price. It's no problem. So about two weeks later, a guy called Neville Denton turns up in the shop. And Neville was a, um, a rugby league hero in, during my dad's time, great player, but also a very keen bushman. So he comes in and he's got gumboots on and shorts on and and they and, and he starts talking to my dad as if I'm not there. So the conversation goes a little bit like this. Oh, the boy's not much good, eh? And my dad goes, nah. And so then and I'm standing there going, well, anyway. So so Neville goes, uh, oh, he can't step and keep his pace, eh? That's not very good. And and dad goes, nah. And and then Neville says, is he prepared to pay the price? <laughs> I'm going, well, what have I got myself in for? So anyway, I'm sort of the sideline of this discussion. And he leaves. I go back to work. And then Dad says to me, so uh, Wednesday was a sausage day. And sausage days are pretty tough. You start at 5.30 in the morning. You break down all the meat. You make all the sausages. And if you're an apprentice like I was, it's a pretty tough day. So anyway, Dad says to me, oh, you better take your boots, boy. And I said, oh, okay, cool. So anyway, I've got my boots and Neville turns up and he says, righto, come with me. And so I walk out and I go to his, uh, I go out the back of the, the shop. I've got my boots. We go to his car. Anyway, we get up to the park and then Twin Oak Drive's a, park, a place in Cornwall Park. And over to the left, they, many years ago, they planted trees a certain distance apart. And in the trees, there's four trees, a metre and a half gap, and then another four trees spaced apart. And he said, run through that at full pace. So I look at them and go, okay. So I take off. I'm tired. And I step the first tree. And I try and step the second tree. And I, and I bash into it. And it basically tackles me. And, that, and I just fall over like an idiot. So I get up and I go back. And I try again, and I've got to slow down to about 10%, right? And I just can't do it. And so anyway, he says, right, oh boy, that's enough. And so I'm going, what do you mean that's enough? I can't do this. So he says, come on, back in the car. So we get back in the car, and we go back to work, and we walk in, and Neville says to Dad, hey, you were right about your son. <laughs> <laughs> he, can't, he can't step at pace. He's not that quick, and I don't know if he's ever going to make it. And says, all right, see you later. Walks out. I went back up there the next day, and I went back up there for six more weeks. But Neville actually came back the following week. So he actually came back, and he took me back up there, took me through it again. And it took me six weeks of doing it three or four times a week so that I could run through those trees at full pace. All right. So when you see that Italian try, uh, what happened on the field? So if you break this down like he did after the fact, because he was obviously testing me, he said, when you get on the field, what will happen is your stride, you couldn't step and keep your pace because you couldn't regulate your stride. So through the trees, what happens, if you can run through full pace, your stride regulates without losing pace and you can step. Plus, also, when the opposition gets to where a tree would be, you know when to step or when not to step. And when you see that Italian try, that's exactly what happened. But pre that, sort of two weeks later, it's sausage day again, and Neville walks in with a wild pig on his back. And Dad says, that's the price you have to pay. 
So I had to break the wild pig down and make it into sausages for Neville, right, during my time, not my dad's time, during lunchtime or after work. So I had to break down a wild pig whenever Neville dropped it in because that was the price I had to pay. So the lesson there for anyone wanting to reach the very top, as you did, you know, set a goal, seek help, and then learn to pay the price to get to the very top. Not only were you an amazing rugby player, you were, you know, also an excellent coach. So you spent three years in Italy and the first two seasons you um, got a couple of uh, famous victories and and the team were playing well. And then in the third season, uh, you went without a victory. And um, I was listening to you talk about when they told you that you were to be sacked and how much of an emotional impact that had on you. Because I think a lot of people don't consider how painful it must be for managers to be told that they've got to go. And then again, the the advice your dad gave you, which was amazing. I mean, he's he's an amazing guy, your dad. He really was. Yeah, well, I I actually don't think I was a great coach, but we'll we'll leave that there. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But I always remember when I got the sack, when I got the phone call, I sat on the edge of the bed and I cried. And I always remember my three little kids coming in and I'd probably never seen dad cry before, which is stupid anyway, but that's another discussion. So I'm crying and the underwhelming, the overwhelming feeling that I had was I'm a failure. I've failed. I've failed myself. I've failed my family. I've failed the team, you know, and I was just absolutely devastated. Uh, and then what happens, and, you know, if you've ever lost a job or, or you know, lost, lost, you know, if you're a coach out there, you're listening, um, you then start going through different emotions. So my first one um, probably was anger, you know. If you, <laughs> you know, I don't have to, you know, and, and I started going through the whole anger thing, and then I started going through the whole self-doubt thing so you know you start really feeling that um you know you're not worth it and so there's a whole lot of different emotions why me all that sort of stuff and i rang my dad um and my dad went oh that's no good boy <laughs> you know when i told him i got the same <laughs> yeah thanks dad yeah no that's no good and he said to me uh why'd you get the sack <laughs> and i said oh i don't know and he said well you better find out. And I went, oh, okay. And I thought about that for a little bit. And then he said, the second thing is, you should thank Italy for the opportunity that you've had. And I said, what do you mean, Dad? What do you mean thank them for the opportunity? I've just got the sack. He said, no, no. You should thank them. You've had a great time. It's been a great experience, right? All those things that I couldn't see at the time. And so um, for the next three days when I did all my press conferences, I wanted to say something else. But what I did say is I'd just like to thank you know, the Italian players, the Italian people, the Italian Federation for the great opportunity, which at the time was hard for me to see, but it was the truth now retrospectively. But at the time, it was it was hard for me to say, right? Because I was filled with all these different emotions and you've got to have the press conference straight away. So I thanked everyone, um, said it was a great opportunity, blah, 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 right? So that was that out of the way, and I came out of the press conference, and once again, I thought, you know, that was good advice because, you know, a lot of journalists come up to me, a lot of people who I've been dealing with for four years, and we had a chat, and it was actually a nice way to exit by thanking them. 
Anyway, then I think question number one, he asked me, why did I get the sack? So I thought on this for a few days. I said, how am I going to find this out? So I rang the president, the guy who sacked me, and I said, oh, president, why? And he said, just before you start, John, he said, thanks very much for the last couple of days. You know, what you said was fantastic, and we really appreciate it. <laughs> you imagine what was going through my mind, what I wanted to say. But anyway, I said to him, so, President, um, why'd you sack me? And he said, oh, well, why don't you come for lunch next week, and I'll tell you. So anyway, <laughs> I, go, I go to lunch in Palmer, which is not a bad place to go for lunch, and I went with the President, who's not a bad person to go to lunch, because lunches are normally four hours. But anyway, I went to pre- lunch with the President, amazing meal, nice bottle of wine. We are there for about four hours where he was mainly talking about himself. Um, which is which is fine, but anyway, towards the end of conversation, I said, "Well, President, why, um, you know, why did you get rid of me?" And he said, "Well, the players actually really enjoyed the way you coached, and the team was actually performing really, really well. But um, we thought you're an asshole, <laughs> and, we, <laughs> and we make the decisions." <laughs> so, so I thought, "Oh, well, there you go." Um, and I think the biggest lesson for me I learned out of that was. As a coach, not only do I need to manage down, but I also need to manage up. And I really didn't show the federation or some individuals in that federation the respect that they deserved because at times I saw them probably as people who didn't understand what I was trying to achieve or the enemy sometimes. And I think that's that was my fault, not their fault. And so I think one of the learnings after that was, um, you know, don't rush into emotional uh, things when you're hurting and the second thing was it taught me that I needed to manage up as well as manage down when you are a head coach yeah well I think that applies in all areas of life doesn't it some people are great at managing up and can climb the slippery pole but then aren't necessarily great managers um, some people are great at managing people but don't get very far and then obviously you've got to manage across as well but your dad is so full of was so full of wisdom yeah um, I think the other thing that's really important, Simon, is, you know, it's important to, you know, really verify what your thoughts are by communicating with the people who it might affect. And so I think that was another big lesson. Like you say, you know, you've got to manage sideways. You've got to manage down and you've got to manage up and don't take hearsay or something else that someone else has said as a given without going to the person concerned. And, you know, you don't have to front them with it, but you just have to make sure that, what you're being told is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. <laughs> yeah. Just a quick word as well on the Italian way of life and, and what you learned there. The Kiwi culture, I've spent, um, I spent a bit of time um, in New Zealand when I was younger. And, you know, the Kiwi culture is not hugely dissimilar to, to the British culture and, and the way of, of being, if you like. Whereas the Italian way of being is very different. And again, your dad comes into this, you, you got married in Italy, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I did. Yeah, so um, yeah, what can you tell me about you know the, the Italian way of being and, and what you've taken from that, what we can learn from, from other cultures in that way? When I first went to Italy, I was 20, and um, I've been brought up in a traditional um, middle-class New Zealand home, a butcher's son. So I fly to Italy, and I land, and someone picks me up, and we go out for dinner. And... We have like eight courses, and with every course, we have a different wine. I thought I'd died and gone to heaven, 
And I'm thinking, wow, that was really nice of them to welcome me like that. And I was sort of feeling pretty special about myself. And then it happened the next night and the next night and the next night. And nothing to do with me turning up. That's just how they ate. And um, and so I think that, uh, you know, it really gave me appreciation of, you know, when you talk about the way of life of the Italians, it is really about sitting down and breaking bread and spending time together at the dinner table. You know, like I've sat down some nights at sort of 7.30 in the evening and got up from the table at 2 a.m. You know, Christmas Day a few years ago, I sat down at 1 p.m. and got up at 3 a.m., you know, their whole life is revolves around eating and drinking and family and company, you know. Um, and that's beautiful. Uh, oh, it's so beautiful. Like, and the appreciation for so my cousin, my wife's cousin, Andrea, who's a, a great mate of mine, he comes around and he got a bottle of wine that someone else had taught him. He spent half an it was like he'd introduced me to his long lost friend, or he'd just it just brought a brand new Ferrari. Like I'm going at the end of the 30 minute spell, I said, this better be good, mate. You know, like, cause you've, you've built it up, but it was never not going to be good for him because he'd gone through this whole um, exercise of emotion. And, and I just really fell in love with that whole, you know, no matter how life is, if you can sit down and break bread with, uh, with people who you love and care about with great food and wine, then Hey, life's not too bad. Absolutely. I mean, my father is a, an Italian obsessive as well. And we follow Scotland in the Six Nations and we were in uh, Rome a couple of seasons back and he got out a bottle of Brunello di Montalcino. Uh, oh, yeah, it's Whoa. a lovely, it's a lovely drop that. Have you been to Angelo's? Do you know what, John? I'm, I'm not going to lie. It was, it's all slightly hazy. Elvino did flow, as David Brent would say. But it was amazing, you know. But just quickly, the culture shock for you and your father of the Italian way of being, particularly the men and, the, and you know, the uh, the way your heart on your sleeve and the, the affection side of things? Yeah, well, I, um, you know, it took me about three triple bypasses of, on dad's side and me uh, to get to about 30 before I actually gave him a hug and told him I loved him because um, my dad only ever shook my hand. Now, it didn't mean he didn't love me any less, right? No, so no. It, it just, so it's that just, generation, isn't it? Yeah, just that generation, you know. Uh, you know, shake my hand, look me in the eye, boy. Um, so oh, I get married in Italy and I come out of the church and there's a big long line of people, males and females. And so I'm going down and I'm I'm kissing males and females, as you do in Italy, you know, kissing on both cheeks, kissing on both cheeks, kissing males and females. And I sort of lost track of who was there. And then I get to my dad and he says, you kiss me, boy, you can call this bloody wedding off. <laughs> <laughs> so I think there are so many good lessons that, that pop out from your story. But ultimately, we are here really, you know, the theme of this conversation is is around around mental health. And, you know, the work you do now, the difficulties you, you went through. And, you know, I wasn't really aware of how low you got until very recently. The nadir of which was when you were in the Hilton in Argentina. So just mm. just quickly tell us about that moment and what was going on for you. It's interesting you talk about the 91 World Cup because I was on antidepressants. So when you talk about the 91 World Cup, I think about being on antidepressants. But it goes back a bit further. So, um, yeah, well, look, what, what happened was I wanted to jump out of a window on the 10th floor of the Hilton Hotel in Buenos Aires. And, um, you know, I feel very fortunate that I'd never 
um, actually planned a suicide, but I'd had such a guts full of what was going on in my head. I can always remember it. Um, you know, the window was open, the curtain was fluttering. Um, I'd just got through another anxiety attack. So my anxiety attacks were based around a thought that my mind would run with. Um, and I'd end up shaking because I had so much tension inside me. So when I was rooming with someone, I'd I'd normally try and hide that under the sheets or go into the toilet and hide. I'd, um, so I just finished an anxiety attack and I had a guts fill and I, I wanted to run and jump out the window. And right then, my roommate um, said to me, JK, you've got a good heart. And um, I don't know why he said it. He doesn't know why we said it. He, we talk about it to this day. Michael um, Jones, isn't it? His name's Michael Jones, yeah. He's uh, now Sir Michael Jones for all the work he does in the community. An amazing man. Um, and those, you know, you've got a good heart, saved my life. I said that to myself. I wasn't sleeping at the time. So I said it to myself for the next sort of 36 hours till I got home. I, I played a test match the next day against Argentina and scored two tries. It, it was irrelevant. Um and when I got home, I finally reached out and got help. Um, and the interesting thing is I went to my doctor first. you know who my doctor was? My doctor was Dr. John Mayhew, who was the all-black doctor. I hadn't, I'd just been on tour with him for a month. <laughs> but I didn't talk to him either, um, which is unbelievably stupid when you look back at it. But um, I got home and I finally reached out and, and, and got some help. And I went to Doc Mayhew, and for the first time, he told me that I had something. He said, J.K., I think you have anxiety and depression. And it was the first time that I'd realized that I had something, that it wasn't just me, that I, I wasn't going nuts. So what you've got to realize is that my reference to mental health was one flew over the cuckoo's nest, right? So... No one had ever spoken about mental health in my home. No one had ever spoken about it at school. I didn't know what an anxiety attack was. I didn't know that depression was a thing. But what I did know that was that um, mental asylums were real and, you know, people get locked up. And so I had this perception of, of mental health as um, one flow over the cuckoo's nest. So I thought if I told someone I'm going to get locked up in a straitjacket and get locked up with Jack Nicholson and that big American Indian guy, who are probably two of the sanest people in there, you know. But it was a real fear. I can sort of laugh and talk about it now, but that, that was a real fear. That drove me not to talk about it. The second real fear was that I thought it was a weakness, not an illness. So I thought it was me, not good enough. Um, you know, I'm a fake. I mean, I had a whole lot of – and. and the, the, I talk about them as my sharks. I had a whole lot of sharks that I had to deal with that I hadn't dealt with. Um, and it was interesting because Doc said, okay, I'll send you to, to this person. And Dr. Louise Armstrong was amazing. I get in and I sit down and she says, rugby player, eh? And I said, yeah, I'm a rugby player. She said, uh, what would you do if you had a tight hamstring? And I went, well, I'd stop and stretch it. She said, oh, that's good. You stop and stretch and you get up and you keep running. And it gets really, really tight. What would you do? And I said, well, I'd stop. I'd ice it and I'd go to the physio. She said, your brain's no different, you dick. <laughs> and and that was like this, wow, I've got a hamstring in the head. <laughs> so once I started treating my mental health like my physical health, it's the day 
that I started to go on this, and I hate this word, but on this journey of of wellness. And and what I sort of talk about is surviving versus thriving. And, you know, I really feel that I'm thriving now, but back then I was just surviving. And so the, you know, the, the tips and the techniques and the stuff that I learned along the way um, has, has, you know, been some of the greatest things I've learned. And, and I feel this is a really funny thing to say because I don't wish it, I don't wish what happened to me on anyone, but it was the greatest thing that happened to me at the same time because yeah. it actually got me to understand me. Um, you know, I have these tools and these techniques that keep me thriving every single day. And, um, and so I feel in a funny sort of way, really fortunate. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At Bluenile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to Bluenile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Mm. If that makes sense, Simon. Totally. It, it, does, it does. Listen, a lot of people, I think, go through pain and it drives them to a certain place where they are able to be grateful. By going through these hard times like you went through, they can end up being a real blessing because of what you learn, the compassion you can have for yourself and others the tools that you pick up that you're able to share, essentially you become more awake and more conscious. And, and that's exactly what's happened in your case. And now the work you're doing is um, having a huge impact. And you talk about thriving and surviving. And, you know, I've watched a few of your, you know, you give workshops and, and various things. And some of the tips that you have around thriving, I think are so beneficial. I mean, you talk about it in terms of it. Getting well and staying well, it's not, it's not complicated. It's a simple thing, but it's a simple thing you have to do daily. Um, so let's talk about a few of the things that you, that you really zone in on then. And the first thing that I'd like to talk about is just the, the computer analogy, the analogy of, of <laughs> unplugging. Yeah, so um, I, I think there's a, there's a few things and we can, we can dig. You have to dig into it a wee bit. So um, what, what 
upset me the most. And if I ramble, just stop me. So I became the face, the public face of of mental health in New Zealand, you know, 15 years ago now. So I decided to come out and talk about it. It was an anti-stigma campaign. And it was really, really successful. And then the next campaign that I wanted to talk to the government about was, well, I've got, well, let's talk about hope. And so the next campaign was about hope. But then what happens to me is our suicide rate's going the wrong way. So in the last four years, um, you know, 606, 618, 638, 668 last year. And then I'm reading these stats like, um, you know, 800,000 people committed suicide last year, right? And I'm going, we've got to do something different. We've got to do something different about this because I had a medical depression. I've been on antidepressants and we need to start putting a fence at the top of the cliff, not an ambulance at the bottom. And so I think that, you know, when you when you talk to me about a daily mental health plan, so, you know, I went to my mum and said, mum, I'm dead. Um, I'm walking around, I'm living, but I'm not living, I'm dead inside. And she said, the good thing about your dead boy is you are still with us. So you need to start again. Because when I was really unwell, Simon, I wanted to find, I wanted the JK back, you know, the, the guy that's running out on the football field and, you know, running around the field with utmost confidence and, um, and so I had this big picture of what wellness was, but I didn't really know what it was. And the interesting thing is that mum said to me, you need to smell the roses, right? And we've heard that saying a million times, but what I translated it into was if I am dead, I need to have something to look forward to every single day to keep me alive. And that on day one, after talking to my mum, was a shower, right? And so the shower, if you think about the last time you've had a shower, most people in the shower are thinking about the past or the future, and I was no different. So what I decided was that I'm going to spend that three minutes or four minutes in the shower, and I am just going to enjoy it for what it is, the hot water um, running over me and just live in the present. And that's how I started my journey back to wellness. So no matter how bad the day was, I knew that I could have a hot shower and wash all that away. And what I realized was that I need a daily mental health plan with a whole lot of those things. And because, and I went out and for Mentimia, we can get back to this later, I went out and interviewed over 3,000 people. And people were saying things to me like, JK, my mind's on a treadmill. How do I stop it? Right? And I said, what do you do when the computer craps out? You know, you ring the IT guy, Simon, when your computer craps out, what does he say? Turn it off and on again. Yeah. Turn it off and turn it on again. And you know what? 99% of the time, that works, right? And what's happened is we get more inputs today than we had in a lifetime 100 years ago. So what we say is that you as a person need to switch that computer off and switch it back on five or six times a day, you know, and you need to sleep well. You need to do these certain things in your life that's going to recharge your batteries, recharge your energy. 
And so what I what I simply say is that five or six times a day, I'm unplugging the computer, man, and then replugging it back in. And so I have a daily mental health plan that keeps me thriving. There's a there's a little bit of understanding your own mind in there too. So you know it's not it's not something that you just um, you know you you need to build to that. Yeah, you need you, you need, need to understand the you know the different part, the limbic part of your brain and all that. And you know, fortunately, I've got plenty on that in the back catalogue. Go and listen to Steve Peters talking about that. You know, you've got the chimp, you've got your chimp. Oh. You know, you've got the cortex, which is the the the, the human part of us, which is um, a much more recent part of our evolution that is 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 way less strong than that chimp part that that is more reactive, that is catastrophic, that is black and white, that that overcomes the the um, the prefrontal cortex, which gets shut down by that emotional side. So I totally agree. You need to understand how your brain works. But in terms, but you know, you're so good at explaining you know some of the little things you can do and you i watched a workshop that you did with a colleague of yours called fiona who's who's absolutely amazing and you know so you showering is one you're a coffee man and you like walking and cooking isn't it and just one quick thing that fiona said that i really liked is actually scheduling into your day times to to switch off and just like stare out of your window scheduling in times to allow your mind to just wander and how important even just something as simple as that is so yeah how do people identify some of those those switching the computer off moments what would you say to people yeah well i think there's um so there's a couple of things i i have a monkey brain um my my monkey is called bob right so a monkey brain is a mind that never, never stopped. So I think if you spoke to Fiona, she'll call it a ruminating mind, right? So, um, so if you can, what I what I suggest to everyone listening is try a whole lot of different stuff, but have no judgment on it, right? Because I think a lot of the things that we get pitched at us today, there's a judgment around. Oh, you should do that. If it doesn't work, oh. No, this is about you. So, for example, if you try meditation and it works for you, fantastic. If you try yoga and it works for you, fantastic. I, my monkey brain is not suited to doing some of those things. I'm an active relaxer because I've got to put Bob in his cage and give him a banana, right? Bob the monkey's got to be sitting in his cage, relaxed. So if I actively relax, so if I cook, right, then it's like meditation for me. Or I read. If I read, it totally disengages Bob, puts him in his monkey, and it's like unplugging my computer. So if I'm doing something active, if I go for a walk, if I swim, if I do things like that, right? So I've got a series of those things that I know that if I do those things, then I'm going to be disconnecting the brain. Bob's going to be in his cage and and eating his banana. So I unplug my computer three or four times a day. In, in, break, in breakdown, I've taken up the guitar again. It sounds like I'm killing a cat in the lounge. I'm the worst guitar player ever. If right? you're but humble. It, I bet you're not that bad. No, 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 but it doesn't matter. It's not about that, Simon. Yeah, it's yeah, not about yeah. judgment. It's not about competition. It's not about being competent. It's actually about something for me to unplug the brain, right? Mm. And that's really important. And you've got to have three or four of those things in your, in your day, right? And the, it, it, you only need a few minutes, right? So, for example, coffee is really important for me. Um, I like to have it stack. So, for example, I have that beautiful hot shower and I go downstairs 
and then I have a coffee with no phone or no nothing, and I look out the window. Those things are really important for me. I can do those three or four times a day. It doesn't have to be coffee. It could be a cup of green tea. But the most important thing is turn off your phone, sit there, and just be you. Unplug unplug the mind for a few minutes. And so during my day, so for example, today, I've obviously worked and we're at the end of the day in New Zealand at 7.15, but I have had a shower, had a stretch. I've had two cups of coffee where I stopped. Um, in between a few meetings, I picked up the guitar and played it, right? So already today, I'm about to get off this podcast and cook. I've actually got some nice New Zealand staffer and some scallops that I'm going to try and cook with butter and, and capers. And then the, the scallops. I haven't even I'm had breakfast to, yet. I <laughs> know. Oh, uh, the scallops I'm going to do gratinata, which is an Italian way. But during the day, I've been looking forward to cooking that. So I've got something to look forward to today. And all these little things in my day keep me really well. I know that before I go to sleep tonight, I'm going to read a book, right? Um, and so those things in my day keep me incredibly well. And I'm always looking for different things. I breathe five or six times a day, right? So, for example, when I was really, really unwell, I was taking antidepressants and I went into my psychiatrist and I said to her, um, you know, I don't feel um, as bad as I did. I think I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a little bit better. She said, JK, the antidepressants will give you some balance, but you need to start working on your anxiety and depression. I went, yeah, I'm available. I'm keen to do that. She said, you need to learn how to breathe. <laughs> I said, I'm standing in front of you right now. I'm breathing, you know, like she said, no, no, you need to learn how to breathe properly. And uh, breathing saved my life. Breathing was the way that I attacked anxiety. You know, I, I, I love flying. But during my depression and anxiety, I'd have anxiety attacks on the plane. So I started to hate flying. Mm. And the way I started attacking my anxiety attacks on the plane was learning how to breathe properly. So I know how to breathe very deeply that completely relaxes my body. And I do that five or six times a day. We've got a lot of unplugging routines um, in common. you know. And I think what you're talking about in terms of these different things, that is what self-care looks like is doing these things, you know, for yourself. And that there is that old adage that always gets trotted out. And you mentioned aeroplanes of, you know, putting your own, your, your mask on first. And, you you know, having these little things that where you are doing things for yourself uh, it can have such a big impact. And I know, like for me, having my morning routine, I get up, you know, before the rest of the family, um, I read, um, standing in the garden, getting a bit of light first thing in the morning, walking, uh, reading in bed. So all these different self-care unplugging tools that you're talking about and people establishing what each of theirs are for them. And then the benefit of this, and, and I heard you talking about this with Fiona, was you know, we, we often confuse productivity with busyness because I think it, it can be easy to think, I haven't got time to take this time for myself. But actually in not taking time for yourself, doing these things that you're talking about, the danger is that you may be there and you may be working but you're not working as well as you could be working. And it's about productivity, not just being busy for endless hours on end, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I, I sometimes don't like to talk about it as productivity because people put it into a business sense. But I think if you think about it as thriving, then then you are thriving in yourself, right? 
And then whatever you want to be productive at is at its maximum. And I think that's the most important thing is that if you are well, if you are energized, you can get so much more done. But the interesting thing for me that stress and anxiety has become the new norm. So I talk to a whole lot of people, you know, and I say to them, and this is probably not a good time to talk about it with COVID, but, you know, give me three symptoms for the common cold. So I mean, give me three symptoms. For the uh, so cold. Uh, runny nose, a cough, yeah. and, yeah. you know, just low energy. Yeah. Okay. And what do we do about that? Normally, we'll we'll go down to the chemist, we'll jam that down our gob for three days, and if it doesn't go away, we'll go to the doctor, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Um, give me three or four common symptoms for modern day stress and anxiety. Racing mind, insomnia, digestion issues. Yeah, or take your best self to work and by the time you get home, you want to kill the cat. You know, you're in the car and you end up abusing the person next to you and the lights and you don't really know where that anger came from. Yeah, you know, What do we do about that? What do we do about that? Stuff it away. Try and push it nothing. down. Nothing. We might have a few drinks on a Friday night, right? So we don't do anything about it. And I think the modern world and the way that our society is, it's not going to slow down. We just need to get some tools to get ourselves back to thriving rather than just surviving, right? So when you're talking about those breathing, instead of waiting for a moment when you need them, if you put them into your day five or six times, you're going to have 15 to 20% more energy at the end of the day, right? So I'm, I'm talking to a group of fitness trainers. So they are awesome. And I say to them, who would like to be 15% better physically and a room full of trainers that are at the height of their game put their hands up. Unbelievable, right? And so I say to them, who'd like to be 10% or 15% better mentally? And they all put their hands up again, right? But I think when you think about how we take our physical health compared to how we take our mental health, we haven't put enough time into the mental fitness side of our lives. Because if you could get better today, Simon, if you could breathe today, and you already do, but if your listeners, if you could learn how to breathe today and be 15% better, would you want to be? Of course. Totally. There's always room to, always room for improvement. Totally. But we need, and one thing I'm hoping COVID does is mental health in the world as a pandemic as well. But I think the nice thing that, one of the learnings from COVID is that people are asking you how you are mentally. It's okay to be anxious. It's okay to be worried. It's okay to have fear. You know, we're not hiding that as much anymore. And I think that hopefully is a positive coming out of this, that we will put our mental fitness on the same level as we do, um, you know, our physical fitness and health. Mm. Just a couple of things I want to share from, from the word that I've watched you do. So I, like I said, I, I watched a workshop that you did with Fiona, a couple of things she spoke about as well. So, you know, this idea of, of multitasking, that we, we become a multitasking people, but actually, you know, our brains can only do one thing at a time. And then she was also talking about the importance of knowing the feel-good hormones. So when you exercise, the benefit you get is, is endorphins. And then oxytocin, which is the one that I really liked as well, the one that you get from cuddling or whatever, or indeed from connection. And I know that you're someone who really prioritizes connection. Now, whether that be connecting with the, the butcher 
um, you know, over the counter or someone working in the supermarket or indeed what we're seeing increasingly now with COVID, you know, you walk, uh, walk down the street and everyone's giving each other a big wide berth, but they're acknowledging each other and you have that little moment of connection. You can get oxytocin through connecting in very, very simple ways, letting someone go. If you're in your car, letting someone pass ahead of you. Yeah, I just thought this was so good about, you know, looking for simple ways, particularly the connection side to to get these feel-good hormones going inside us to thrive. Yeah, and I think that when you think about modern life, you know, and I think there is connection through your Facebook, through your WhatsApps, through your um Instagram and that's fine, but you can't just have that. And I and I think it delivers something else about connection. And you should take all the positives out of that. And you can have that and that's fine, but it can't dominate. Because I believe <coughs> excuse me, that you've got to connect personally. So during COVID, you know, I've been picking up the phone and just talking to people who I love and care about. And I think you're right. If you can connect with people you do feel better for it. Um, we have a thing in the Mentimere app called just random acts of kindness where you spin the wheel in it and it, you know, says write a note to someone or ring someone who you're thinking about. And what I learned through my mental through my mental health is that when I when someone comes into my heart, I action it. Right? So, you know, it would happen to you today. You'll be sitting there and you'll think of someone. So what I try and do when I think of that person is action it, either ring them or reach out for them and just say, hey. And that is a really um, beautiful thing to do because you get so much back for yourself. You know, like like I said, I reached out to a mate of mine the other day and he's a real hard case. And we had a laugh for 10 minutes. And, you know, he wouldn't say that he loved me because he's a mate of mine. Um, but. I knew that the phone call was important to him and it was important to me. And that makes you feel good. Absolutely. Yeah. I mentioned my morning routine. You know, I journal of the morning and I try and, and this is something I've picked up from other people I've spoken to. And I, and I look back on the day I've had or the week I've had. And I think, you know, where have I going wrong? What could I improve? And um, a couple of weeks ago, I remember think got to the end of the week and I, and I had just this sense, you know, I could do something a little differently. And I realized I hadn't reached out and connected to as many people as I wanted to. So then the, the week, the, the next week, I made sure that I rang and spoke to people I really cared about, friends, family on each and every day, got to the end of that week. And I noticed, you know, a big difference. So I do think that's the power of connect. You know, connection is just it's such a basic and important human need, isn't it? Now, you mentioned... Um, you mentioned the app, so Mentimia. I'm very fortunate. I think I'm one of the first people in Britain to uh, to have access to your app. So this is uh, sort oh, of a wow, mental. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, Ian, who teed us up with this interview, let me have a, a look at the uh, the soft launch, as it were. First of all, you know, it, it's obviously um, being rolled out in Australia and New Zealand. When are you going to roll it out worldwide? Because I do <laughs> think it's going to be here. And second of all, do you know how I could tell that it wasn't quite ready? How? John, it's got a list of podcasts to make you thrive and think. Nine of them in there. Don't tell me the score wasn't in there. So I could tell that this app wasn't quite ready to go to market. Easily <laughs> remedied, though. Easily, <laughs> yeah, remedied. easily, easily remedied. Listen, I think um, I think the story of Mentor Mia is really back to what I spoke about about um, coming out about my mental health, and then the stats kept not changing, Simon. And so I lay awake one night thinking. 
I need to look at this differently. And then the tips and techniques that we've spoken about that keep me thriving every single day, people need in everyday life. So what I was really fortunate, I met my business partner, a guy called Adam Clark, who had the same vision as me, and he came from a tech background. And what we said was, we want to be able to help everybody every day. So the tips and techniques that you need in everyday life, we want to be able to deliver. But the thing that we thought was important was it needs to be incredibly engaging and meet you where you are on your mental well-being journey. And so I think what we started out with was this vision. And if we didn't want the end user to pay, we also felt that there's no more room for um, – productivity you've got all these other things that you've got to help with your with your with your daily plans and all this sort of stuff and what we felt the future was is that if you incredibly um, look after your people from a mental well-being point of view then productivity will go up um, retention will go up and we just felt that if we could do that then businesses would be a happier place and then what happened um, five weeks ago, six weeks ago, my son lives in Italy. So I sort of, you know, knew what was coming and, we, and we, we sat down and we had a meeting at work and unanimously said, you know, we need to give this free um, to New Zealand because people are going to need this because it's an incredibly stressful time. So, you know, Mentimere was born out of delivering an engaging way the techniques that you need to thrive. Right now is a is a really interesting time in the world, and if we can help, then that's what we want to do. Awesome. If you had to sum up one thing around mental health, you know, for someone listening, perhaps who who's you know thinks, yeah, I, I would like to get ten, fifteen, twenty percent better in this area. What one piece of advice or or tip would you have for someone who's thinking like that? I think find something for you that disconnects that brain for five minutes start with small things right and i think the the modern world that it is today has pushed a lot of these fantastic eastern um you know techniques around mental health or even you know the western ways into a business and and i think there's sometimes success and failure put around those so I would say to everyone every day, start with something really small. Try stuff. Put no pressure on yourself. Try meditation. Try reading. And then just start building. Start to habit stack. I call it congratulations to me, right? Um, and congratulations to me is actually about doing something for me that makes me a better husband, a better father, a better person. Because people often say to me, when you're really bad mentally, you know, you can't um, be those things. And I said, that's right, because you've actually got to start looking after yourself. And you can look after yourself by doing things that are quite simple. Breathing. Learn how to breathe. If I said one thing today, learn how to breathe properly. Take some time for you and learn how to breathe. Mindfulness is living in the present. So next time you're walking from A to B, walk a little bit slower and look at the trees, and slow down a little bit. You know what? You'll get to that next meeting 30 seconds later than you would, but you'll feel better. And during that time, breathe. So put these daily things into your plan. And the hardest thing, and the other thing, Simon, that we want to solve is 
you need to make habitual change, but you're not going to make that habitual change unless you're actually feeling, you know, that feeling afterwards of great. I know that when I read for 20 minutes before I go to sleep, I sleep better. I sleep deeper. So that's, you know, you've got to keep being aware of what it'll do for you. So if you sit and look out and just daydream, that's not a waste of time. That is five minutes. That is amazing. And then at the end of it, say congratulations to me because it's a good thing. It's not wasted time, right? If you stand in the shower, try and learn mindfulness by just enjoying the hot water. Now, if your mind, you know, races off, just bring it back and just enjoy the shower. And if you start building those things into your day, by the end of the day, you'll be 10 or 15% better. So if I ask any business, hey, if I could make you 15% better today, would you want it? Everyone is going to say yes, right? Um, And that's important for us as humans. And look for the things. Don't beat yourself up. Have a bit of a laugh about it. You know, that's what I did. I didn't take it too seriously. Um, There is no success or failure. This is not about setting goals. This is just about your well-being. Sorry, Simon. I get a bit excited about this. (laughs) No pleasure. Listen, I think we've covered uh, plenty, uh, Sir John Kerwin. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Um, I hate it when you say that. Can you just call me JK? All right, JK. Like I said, when I I was a little lad, watching you, you know, be outshone by David Campese. uh, (laughs) Turn the inside out on the left-hand corner. Thanks thanks for reminding me of that. I'm going to do some breathing now. You know, if I'd have known that all these years later we'd, we'd be chatting about something like this, I obviously wouldn't have believed it. So it's it's a real honor and a real privilege to talk to you. You know, and I think, you know, the journey you've been on is inspiring and hopeful and and just these little simple tips are just are just brilliant, you know. So taking time for yourself is is absolutely key because you know, sort yourself out and then you can help other people. So listen, it's been a real real pleasure talking to you uh, JK. Thank you very much for coming on and I'll let you go off and do your cooking and I'll go and have breakfast. Thank you, Simon. Can I just say thank you to you as well? I think that, um, you know, to be vulnerable of our mental health is an absolute strength. And vulnerability, um, I thought, was a weakness and a strength. And I know that you always talking about mental health. And, and I think that, you know, and there's some great work going on in the UK. I know that, you know, Prince William is talking about mental health. And the more we talk about mental health and the more people realize that it's a thing that everyone has and we can you know be open about it and learn these tips and tricks off each other then we're all going to be in a better place so thanks mate i really enjoyed it just been a real pleasure and i know that it's a time where people have lots of strength and anxiety in their lives and um you know i think it's important to just make peace with yourselves at the moment it's an extraordinary time and um you know, it's going to take extraordinary means for us all to get along. And one of those things is to be kind, just to be kind to yourself and to be kind to those around you is the most important thing we can do. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. I've got some cracking new guests coming up. And of course, my long-awaited book is out soon. Until next time, goodbye. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.